Welcome to Counterspin, your weekly look behind the headlines. I'm Janine Jackson. This week on Counterspin, the new president of Argentina opposes abortion rights, would like it to be easier to access handguns, and calls climate change a lie of socialism. Many were worried about what Javier Millet would bring, but the Washington Post explained, quote, anger won over fear. For many Argentines, the bigger risk was more of the same, close quote. But if you want to dig into the roots of that same, the economic and historic conditions that drove that deep dissatisfaction, U.S. news media will be less helpful to you there. Javier Millet is not a landslide popular president, and thoughtful, critical information and conversation could help clarify people's problems and their sources, such that voters in Argentina and elsewhere might not be left to believe that the only way forward is a man wielding a literal chainsaw. We'll learn about Javier Millet from Mark Weisbrot, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research and author of the book Failed, What the Experts Got Wrong About the Global Economy. That's coming up this week on Counterspin, but first a quick look back at some recent press. The Israel-Gaza crisis is eliciting massive protests around the world, but U.S. media offer a strikingly narrow debate. New research by Fair's Julie Holler with Keating Zelenki found that on the Sunday political news shows, which are both agenda-setting and reflect what corporate media view as the most important perspectives on the most important stories, the guests invited to speak on Gaza skew strongly toward U.S. politicians and particularly those with strong financial influence by the military-industrial complex and pro-Israel advocates. The resulting conversations leave little room for dissent from a pro-war stance. Fair looked at four weeks of Sunday shows, October 15th through November 5th. Of 57 guest appearances on ABC's This Week, CBS's Face the Nation, CNN's State of the Union, NBC's Meet the Press, and Fox News Sunday, 48 were from the U.S., While representatives of the Israeli government or military appeared five times, only once did a Palestinian guest appear, Hussam Zomlat, the Palestinian ambassador to the UK. Three guests represented international humanitarian organizations. On CBS and ABC, that is, NBC, CNN, and Fox featured no such organizations during the four weeks studied. No scholars, activists, or international law or human rights experts appeared nor did any civil society leaders from either Israel or Palestine. You can find the full study on FAIR.org. As has been noted, the Jewish response to the current war is not united in support of the Israeli government's actions or goals. Even the pro-Israel lobby is not monolithic. But the guests on the Sunday shows leaned heavily towards full support of Israel's military campaign. On Fox News Sunday, for instance, Senator Tom Cotton announced, quote, As far as I'm concerned, Israel can bounce the rubble in Gaza. Anything that happens in Gaza is the responsibility of Hamas, close quote. Fox anchor Shannon Bream made no attempt to challenge that shocking argument from Cotton. 
Former Representative Liz Cheney appeared on both CNN and CBS to say, for instance, quote, I think that, number one, people need to recognize that what's happening in terms of the conditions in Gaza is the responsibility of Hamas. Israel must take whatever action they need to take to defend themselves, and the United States should not be in the business of telling them to stop, to slow down, close quote. At that point, more than 4,600 people had been killed in Gaza, including over 1,800 children. Out of the 57 appearances, only two were guests who both had publicly called for a ceasefire and voiced that in their interview. And indeed, only five of the 57 guest appearances involved a question about a ceasefire. Again, none of the many human rights groups or other experts on international law who might have introduced the idea or offered a perspective contrary to guests' repeated assertions that Israel was not responsible for civilian deaths in Gaza were invited to speak. That absence is not silence. The conversation is just happening outside of the U.S.'s agenda-setting media, where the networks are busy using sourcing that stacks the deck in favor of endless war and violence. You're listening to Counterspin, brought to you each week by the Media Watch Group FAIR. Many people are hearing the name Javier Millet for the first time about now. Millet has just been elected president of Argentina. 56% to 44% are the numbers we're hearing right now over the country's economic minister, Sergio Massa. Fox News trumpeted, Javier Millet crushes Argentine left, becomes world's first libertarian head of state. Donald Trump announced that Millet would truly make Argentina great again, and Elon Musk declared prosperity is ahead for Argentina. That reception gives you some indication of where this is going and what it could mean. Mark Weisbrot is co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C. He's author of the book, Failed, What the Experts Got Wrong About the Global Economy, and co-author with Dean Baker of Social Security, The Phony Crisis. He joins us now by phone. Welcome back to Counterspin, Mark Weisbrot. Thanks. Thanks, Janine. Great to be here. Well, lest there be a lot of mystery to start with, Javier Millet carried around a chainsaw as a prop on the campaign trail, and that was about cutting public spending. And he described the state as a pedophile in a kindergarten. And yes, don't think he's done, because he went on to say the state is a pedophile in a kindergarten with the children chained up and bathed in Vaseline. And it reminds me of Duderte saying he'd be happy to slaughter three million drug addicts in the Philippines. And of course, it reminds folks of Trump and his current pledge to root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of this country. And that's just from this week. It's, it's histrionic. You know, we have politicians saying things you hear supervillains in the movies say. And I guess the concern is that they will be underestimated as merely colorful and over the top and not considered in terms of the actual real world things 
that they want to do and are capable of. So there, that's my setup. What are the material things that listeners need to know about Javier Millet and his election? Well, the material craziness of Malay is an important part of the story. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned uh, or hinted at by the examples you gave, and the media has been comparing him to Trump, and he likes it. And so it is part of that phenomenon, which I think is, you know, we could talk about for hours of crazy people uh, getting elected in, in situations and ways in which they wouldn't in the past. And, of course, that's the big anthropological, sociological question is how does this happen? But I won't get into that. What I'd rather uh, talk about is what he, you know, what his craziness means. I think that's more interesting to your audience as well. And so his craziness is partly a coherent right, extreme right uh, libertarian view. He says every time the state intervenes, it's a violent action that harms the right to private property and in the end limits our freedom. And he applies this to fixing the problem of hunger, fixing the problem of poverty or employment. So he's really uh, as extreme as you get uh, in the in that right wing libertarian set of ideas. So the question is, you know, in terms uh, uh, of policy, what does that mean? First, he wants to abolish the central bank, which, of course, would be a a disaster, and almost no economist would uh, support uh, even thinking like that. And he wants to uh, also dollarize the economy, which would probably also be a disaster. Most uh, economists would say that. They don't even have the reserves for that at this point, but it wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, so he has big things. He will get rid of. He would get rid of some ministries. Um, he would, uh, and he certainly the chainsaws. You know, yeah, <laughs> right. So I mean, guy walks around in a Batman costume with chainsaws, and he got elected president. He wants to cut the public spending at least fifteen percent. Has no no attachment whatsoever with it to anything like public education, health care, and everything. So he would cut anything he can, and he would certainly uh, the economy would uh, would probably go into recession almost certainly, and uh, who knows where it would stop. Well, he seems to have a definition of socialism, and this is what I feel like U.S. media are going to pick up on because, as you and I both know, they will have a lot of quotes from him and they will have quotes from some people who disagree with him, but I don't think they're going to dig deep into the rhetoric. And so he talks about everything that happened from previous administrations in Argentina as socialism. And, uh, you know, I mean, how do we unpack that? Yeah, that's right. Argentina has embraced social ideas for the last hundred years. Of course, that's crazy, too. I don't know what he'll actually be able to do. That's the first thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. he has only 39 uh, seats out of 257 in the lower house and even, you know, eight out of 72 in the Senate. Now, the other he does have a party aligned with him. That was the uh, president from uh, 2015 to 19. And that was Macri. And so that, you know, that's how he got elected, partly because uh, Macri and his party supported him. Uh, these are right wing people, but they're not as as crazy as him. So it's not clear uh, what he'll get done. This is going to be uh, what we'll uh, see. I mean, you have to remember, too, that the government that he's succeeding, the Peronists or 
you know, they have a real uh, movement. And uh, they've gotten in the streets before when uh, terrible things have happened. And, you know, in 2001, uh, four presidents resigned within, uh, you know, less than two weeks at the end of 2001. So uh, that was because of protests. And I think this is maybe where to start the story, because you guys focus on, you know, what the media is kind of missing or getting wrong. And I think we really should start, I think, uh, with what you don't see in the media. You don't see, for example, that in these last uh, 20 years, the Peronists actually did uh, very well. They first came to power with Nestor Kirchner in uh, 2003. And you had in the 12 years that followed before uh, Macri, you had a 71% decline in poverty, 81% decline in extreme uh, poverty, and uh, GDP uh, or income per person grew by 42%, which, uh, you know, I compared it to Mexico. It's uh, three times as fast. So this was a very uh, successful set of policies. But I, I just, I haven't seen that in any of the coverage. I wrote it in the New York Times in an op-ed uh, a couple of years ago. But you don't really see uh, that kind of part of the story. And uh, that's unfortunate because people need to to know that. And, of course, it's partly because people don't know that the Argentine media is no better than here, the major media, that somebody like this uh, could get elected. And, of course, what happened in this uh, story, the other part of the story, I think, that's really, well, first, let's start with the Depression from 1998 to 2002. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was caused overwhelming by the IMF. And you can go back to the New York Times and read that, actually, at the time. They actually reported the IMF role. So that was a huge uh, part of the story, because as you know, as most of your listeners know, the IMF is primarily dominated uh, by uh, decision-making by the U.S. uh, Treasury Department. Right. And then, of course, then you had the Kirchner's and the, the Peronists, and you had this long period where uh, they did uh, very well. And Macri himself, that was the president from 2015 to 19, he wouldn't have gotten to power, actually, if it weren't uh, for more things that came from the United States. And I can tell you that as well, depending on how much uh, time you have. Please do, because I think folks want to know where the U.S. role is here. Yeah, I think it's really important, especially for people here, to know because this was this was such a big thing, you know. I mean, Argentina is obviously one of the largest uh, economies in, in South America, and you know, during this period in uh, in Latin America as a whole, in the first decade of the 21st century, it wasn't just Argentina that had this great rebound. The whole continent reduced, or the, not the continent, the the all of Latin America as a whole reduced uh, poverty from 44 to 28 percent after having two decades of increasing poverty uh, before that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was, you know, 2003 to 13 is the decade I'm looking at. So that was uh, a decade in which the majority of the hemisphere was governed by left governments. 
okay, for the first time ever. And then the United States, of course, uh, played this role, which we'll focus right now on Argentina, in in trying to get rid of all of them and making their lives uh, difficult so that they would be ousted, a number of them by uh, coup d'etat. And so what happened in, in, in Argentina? First, they had this terrible, they had to default to the IMF in 2003, and the IMF backed down, and then they defaulted on their private debt. Well, they did that right before they, they actually defaulted to the IMF, but the IMF rolled over the debt. So they had a big fight with the IMF and the private creditors uh, just to stabilize the economy. But they did that successfully, and they grew. And then in 2014, uh, a New York judge decided that Argentina should not be able to pay its creditors, over 70% of its creditors, the ones who had accepted the restructured debt. And this he did. This was Thomas Griesa, a New York judge. And he did this on behalf of the vulture funds. These were uh, funds that bought up the debt uh, when it was very cheap in the early 2000s and wanted to collect the full value of it. So he was trying to force the Argentine government to pay these U.S. vulture funds, and he was doing it by cutting off the Argentines' ability to pay all other creditors until they would uh, pay the vultures. Make them and so mm-hmm. that is part of what hurt the Argentine economy in 2014. And just to show you how political this was, in 2016, the same judge, Reyesa, actually wrote an opinion where he lifted the injunction on paying this debt, that is, he reversed the decision, and he said he did it because, and this is an exact quote from him, put simply, President Macri's election changed everything. Okay, so that's <laughs> that's partly how we got uh, Macri was him uh, harming the Argentine economy right before that. And then, of course, reversing that uh, tremendous harm as soon as Macri uh, was elected. So there you go. There is a, a, a big change and it leads to another big change in uh, Macri's term. Because, okay, so Macri gets elected because of action that came from the U.S. And there are other actions as well, which I can, uh, I'll, I'll describe. But then Macri goes and gets, and this is because of Trump that it happened, okay, uh, Trump's influence on the IMF. It gets the largest loan that the IMF ever gave to anybody, any country in the world, $57 billion in 2018. And the conditions on that loan were terrible. And they forced the economy into recession. And then, of course, uh, when things started to go sour, which they did right away, uh, because the the big uh, loan that they got just financed capital flight out of the country. And, of course, that led to all kinds of problems. And they doubled down. The IMF doubled down and had more austerity, both uh, fiscal policy and monetary policy. And so things got worse. And that actually leads you really to the situation you have today. That's what created it. Uh, the the economy, the 140% inflation that you have now, the whole mess that got this guy elected was really created by the Macri government 
and that IMF agreement, and also other measures that the U.S. took to deprive uh, Argentina of dollars before Macri uh, came to power as well. Well, when you hear about having to make vulture funds whole and the impact that that has, I'm thinking Puerto Rico. I know that there's lots of other places um, in the world that are coming to people's mind, you know. Um, But then when you set that situation, so now I'm reading the Washington Post, which is trying to explain why did Mele get elected? And it's saying, quote, voters in this nation of 46 million demanded a drastic change from a government that has sent the peso tumbling, inflation skyrocketing, and more than 40% of the population into poverty, close quote. So they're saying, well, Malay's against this, the poverty and and the problems that they're having. He's coming before the people and saying, I'm going to shake that up. And I don't think, at, at least in this explanation, I'm not getting anything of the longer-term history that you're giving me. I'm getting Malay. Things were bad. Malay's there to fix them, right? Yeah, although, I mean, I don't think the media here likes Malay. It's just like Trump. Right. It's this irony that you have in a lot of these situations where uh, the media doesn't, you know, doesn't like these people because they're too extreme or the U.S. didn't even want to Bolsonaro, for example, in Brazil, uh, who, by the way, was one of the first calls, a video call that Malay made uh, when he uh, he won this election, the mainstream consensus here is that these guys are too uh, crazy, but they still do help them win. This, this is this is exactly this is a paradox that probably you can you all can figure out better than me. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I I can't. But you know what you do? You see the interviews, and we're seeing them now. And folks who are listening will be seeing them. You know, folks on the street in Argentina saying, "Well, there's just too much inflation. There's too much corruption." Um, very sort of Trump voter things of, well, I don't like his social ideas, but his economic plans make sense. People want change. And I think that we can acknowledge that people want change, you know, Uh, uh, and then folks come along and say, you know what I am, I'm different, you know, like, I represent change, you know, but where media don't, to my mind, exercise their role is, well, why do people want change? And what does that have to do with the failure of existing systems, including economic systems? Instead, media just say, I guess people just deep down want a kind of fascistic guy. Even if they're opposed, they still don't dig deep enough, to my mind, into why folks were willing to do this Hail Mary play. Yeah, and I think the, you know, part of the media story is that most people in Argentina, as well as your audience, don't know this uh, historical record. I mean, imagine if all the voters knew that uh, in the past 20 years, you had the majority of that time uh, when the Peronists were in power, uh, people did the numbers, I, you know, the numbers that I just told you, people did quite well. The in terms of, you know, reducing poverty enormously. And the real wage growth was uh, 34% under the uh, the Kirchners, for example, over that period. Uh, and all these things happened and, not, you know, increased spending on cash transfer programs, everything. And they did extremely well. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, 
I mean, some people remember it, and that's why they still got uh, 44% of the vote. Right. But not everybody is old enough or even would, you know, uh, necessarily understand the whole situation not having uh, seen it in uh, in print or heard it on radio or television. And so, yeah, it's easy for this guy to come in here. He's, he's almost literally a clown. And... Uh, and 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 come in and say, and even though probably a lot of people even who voted for him think his ideas are crazy or that he's crazy, you just see quotes like that in the press. Yeah, he's mm. crazy, but I'm voting for him anyway. Right, right. And uh, but they don't have a way of seeing that there actually have been uh, successful alternatives. And you know, if it, you know, if we can go into the economics a little bit, I think uh, part of the problem here is that. The IMF loan is is huge, okay, and they have to they have to pay that back, and they got uh, of course they they got uh, uh, some debt relief on the private debt, but the IMF doesn't give any. They they postpone the payment of something, but it's still going to come due, and of course you have uh, capital flight because of that situation, and you have a situation where uh, you have the um, what's called an inflation depreciation spiral. So if you uh, under if the confidence is undermined, confidence in the currency is undermined by a variety of things, including the inflation itself, and in, in, including uh, the debt problems that the IMF let them with, and the and, and, and pretty soon it's going to be the anticipated and real policies of the IMF that are going to cause capital to flee the country as they did in 2018. So all these things, what that happens is capital flees the country, and that causes the currency to depreciate. And when the currency to depreciate depreciates, then the price of all imports uh, goes up. Okay, and then uh, that causes more inflation, and then the increased inflation causes the currency to depreciate more, and that's why it was so hard for this uh, latest government before uh, Malay to to resolve this problem because it's a self-perpetuating uh, spiral, right. something you don't want to get into, and of course there are ways uh, it is possible. Uh, but again, that's a very hard problem, and that was uh, a result of the policies that came in uh, overwhelmingly with the Macri government and the IMF agreement that he uh, followed. And, you know, he even said it at one point. I don't have the exact quote, but it was something like, I did everything that uh, I agreed to in this agreement, and the economy went down the toilet. So even he realized that. Uh, but, again, you're not seeing that. You're not seeing that in the public uh, discussion. All you saw... Uh, up to the election is the party in power must be responsible uh, for what's happening and they have to go. And then you see this guy, Malay, come in with really crazed ideas and nobody even cares so much how crazy they are. It's just different. That's kind of how Trump won as well. We've been speaking with Mark Weisbrot. He's co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research. You can find their research and analysis online at net. Mark Weisbrot, thank you very much for joining us this week on Counterspin. Thank you. And that's it for Counterspin for this week. Counterspin is produced by FAIR, the National Media Watch Group based in New York. You can learn about us on our website, fair.org. 
The show is engineered by Alex Noyes. I'm Janine Jackson. Thanks for listening to Counterspin. <laughs>